Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner. We've made it all the way to episode 35. I'm Bobby Bancroft. I'm here with Casual Hoya, Andrew Geiger. And Andrew, we have a special bracketologist guest. We do. We do indeed. We are actually big time enough to have a guest on the show who's actually legitimate. Um, and That's so good. we have Brad, Wa- Brad Wachtel, who is one of the nation's leading bracketologists. He's here to talk about Georgetown, Georgetown's resume to date. Um, Brad, how's it going? Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. How's it going, guys? Uh, so a little bit about myself. So there's a ton of bracketologists out there right now, but there's not many bracketologists out there who have actually worked in college basketball. Uh, so I worked at Rutgers University with the men's basketball team as their director of basketball administration from 2010 to 2016. Um, and I'm also a Rutgers alum, graduated back in 2005, and I was a team manager with the team. So I've spent 10 years working uh, in college basketball. So I like to think I know a, a thing or two about it. Where, yeah, where and, can and people thanks, find thanks you on Twitter? Jo- yeah, it's at bwachtel23. That's at B-W-A-C-H-T-E-L-23. I was just going to say, it's amazing you, you've, you've gotten here. I mean, you, you seem to survive the, the Eddie Jordan era. Is that correct? That is correct. I survived the Eddie Jordan <laughs> era. I was also at Rutgers when Mike Rice was coaching. Um, so ah. I, I, I've, seen, I've seen through, I've seen a lot. I've been through a lot. I greatly appreciate, you know, both those guys. And, you know, obviously things didn't go the way we wanted it to go. Um, my, my personal goal, I've always wanted to be part of the NCAA tournament as an employee. It didn't happen. And that's a big reason why I do bracketology. It kind of keeps me close to it. Um, and I love to know how every team is doing and stay up to date on, on everyone's progress. Well, so let's, let's dive right into it. I mean, how do you become a bracketologist? Like how, how, I'm assuming you follow, you know, Lenardi and some of those other guys. It seems like it's an ever expanding field of people throwing their hat into the ring these days. Like what's your, what's your, how'd you get into it and, and what do you put into it? So I started it back in, right after I graduated college back in 2006, um, I, I kind of just started my own grid of just how, just tracking teams one by one. And it never really became a big thing until a couple of years later. Uh, there's a website called bracketmatrix.com that tracks all the bracketologists across the country. And I think once I, once I saw that, it kind of added a little competition. So you're trying to do better than the top, you know, the ESPN, the CBS sports line, guys like that, you want to do better than them. Um, And every year that I've done it, uh, I've 
state that bracket matrix has a composite of the top bracketologist in the country and i'm number four out of you know close to 200 bracketologists and that includes guys like joe lenardi and jerry palm so part of that is i like to think it's it's skill it's pattern recognition by you know looking seeing what the committee has done in the past and trying to use that to predict what's going to happen in the future um and and part of it is also luck i mean there's there's not i'm not a genius but um i like to think i play close attention to to everything that's going on excellent and so you are i'm looking at the bracket matrix right now actually which i do kind of every day to track you know the way that georgetown is being perceived on the on the national scale are you the the brad i guess up top i'm not the brad uh, i am f and b for facts and bracks oh i got it and we should mention your your site facts and com, right right nice okay well let's dive into what everyone here is listening for and so what's your take on this hoyas team so far sure i mean first of all i'm sure the you know, my brother's a Georgetown alum, so Georgetown is, even though I'm a Rutgers guy, Georgetown is right up there with, you know, with who I follow the most. And, you know, you follow their team, and it seems like every single game they're losing one guy after another, and they are still managing to stay relevant. Uh, Patrick Ewing, you got to give him some credit for what he's done with his team so far because could have been a nosedive after everything that's been going on. Um, but that win at Butler was massive. But if you take a look at Georgetown's resume right now, they have a net of 43, which is very solid. They have a top five strength of schedule in the country and a top 40 non-conference strength of schedule in the country. And I know in the past, uh, non-conference strength of schedule was always an issue, um, but they figured it out this year and they scheduled really, really well. And I think that's one of the reasons why they are in play for a bid right now. Um, and as we dig deeper into their resume, they are five and nine versus quadrant one teams and nine and 10 versus quadrant one and two combined with no bad losses. Um, now five wins against quadrant one teams is a very good number, but it is a little misleading uh, because three of those five wins are against teams that are not gonna be in the NCAA tournament. So they do have some Key wins and Creighton and that Butler. Uh, I think they, I think they're they're solid right now. I have them as one of my last teams in, um, but you're obviously going to need more uh, to juice up the resume. But fortunately, for Georgetown's sake, they play in the Big East, and when you play in the Big East, there's opportunity. Um, going through the remaining schedule for Georgetown, you know you got Providence at the Paul at Marquette. Xavier at Creighton and Villanova at home. I I do believe if they can go four and two down the stretch, beat Providence at home, win at the Paul, beat Xavier at home, and then somehow steal a game at Marquette at Creighton or at or home against Nova, they can do that. They will put themselves in good shape to make the tournament because of the rest of their resume. Their their net will be solid. Their strength of schedule won't be an issue. Their road neutral record is pretty solid right now. Um, so maybe two weeks ago, Georgetown fans were kind of bleak about what was going to happen, but there's definitely a ray of sunshine right now. There's hope. 
So that would give Georgetown 19 regular season wins. And I guess by when you're saying that would put them on very solid footing, that's regardless of what happens in the, the Big East tournament, uh, I assume. Um, right. My take on it was if they can get 18 wins in the regular season, they should be in pretty decent shape so long as they don't then, you know, crap the bed in the first game of the biggest tournament. Correct. And now it's, if they get to 18 wins, who are those three wins against? You know, that's the thing. If it's, if it's Providence, Paul, and Xavier, you know, you need to hope, even though Xavier is a team that you're competing against right now for a spot, you still also want that to be one of your wins, uh, you know, over another at-large team to, to, to bulk up your resume. Um, it's, it's close. I think three wins will put them in play with one in the Big East tournament. I think you feel a lot better if they can get the fourth. Uh, obviously, it's going to be difficult, but, but you know, it's, it can be done. Yeah, and I noticed that you bring up Xavier, and you had a tweet earlier today about um... – Basically, how Xavier and Georgetown are are very similar resume wise. Yeah, no, they they are similar. Uh, you look at they each have one very good win. Xavier is at Seton Hall. Uh, Georgetown is at Butler. Georgetown has also has Creighton, um, and neither team has a has a bad loss. Um, and their nets are very similar to each other. So I really think that they're 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 neck and neck. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, who's going to get, who's going to get more, you know, more juice on their resume. Um, and I know people think like, okay, well, Georgetown plays Xavier head to head. That matchup could be the matchup that determines it. Not really, uh, because you're not just going against Xavier. You're going against all these other teams on the bubble. Um, you, you, you know, if I'm a Georgetown fan, I'm rooting for these other the other bubble teams in my league to play well. Obviously, I want to play better, but the, the stronger my league is, the better chance it it helps with your with your chances at getting that large bid. Yeah, and that's what I was wondering today. I saw that Xavier kind of narrowly edged St. John's, uh, 77 to 74. The Johnnies actually coughed up an eight-point lead late, sh- shockingly. Um, but I really was conflicted as to like who I should be rooting for in that game. I figure if St. John's could could get a win over Xavier, then our two wins over St. John's, I guess, look better. But then again, as you say, you know, if Xavier is a bubbly team, you, you want a bubble team to be kind of strong. So, uh, how how do we, how would you have approached the Xavier St. John's game from a Georgetown fan's perspective? Yeah, it, it definitely could go either way. You would like St. John's to remain in the top 75 of the net. Uh, right now, they're in the upper 60s. If they stay in the top 75 of the net, obviously you have an extra quadrant one win. Um, that being said, I do think the committee, I don't think the committee um, in terms of say, in terms of teams that are not going to get at large bids, even though that's a quadrant one win, St. John's, it's not viewed the same as all quadrant one wins. All quadrant one wins are not created equal, um, according to the committee, it's for, from everything that I've seen. Um, so honestly, I, I'm probably happier that Xavier won because I want to beat Xavier and I want that win to matter more. A win over St. John's doesn't matter as much in the committee's mind. Gotcha. Now you mentioned all wins are not created equal. 
Now, and I know that there's kind of an obsession with quad one wins and net ranking and basically all the math that goes behind seeding and, and all that. But how much, if anything, does the committee take into consideration the fact that Georgetown went into Butler without your seven, without McClung, you know, and pulled off a win there? Basically, Georgetown has done all of this, as, as you know. Um, <laughs> without Mac for, for a long stretch of time. And obviously since the, the, the defections earlier this season, how much of the committee or how much does the committee weigh all that in making a final decision as to how good this Georgetown team might actually be? So unfortunately in my mind, what you've mentioned is the, is the number one thing that I have a problem with in terms of the net. It doesn't take account when teams have injuries. Um, if you're beating a team, that is, let's say, a top 25 team that is minus their best player, or if in Georgetown's case, they're winning games at Butler minus two, two key starters, I don't think the committee really takes it into consideration at all, to be honest with you. And that's really unfortunate. Um, but that's, I, I have not seen that anywhere, unless it's like star players, you know, NBA guys that are, top pick Zion Williamson last year I don't see it happening I don't think it's I don't think they're gonna get any extra credit for winning that game unfortunately they don't get extra credit for Javon Blair playing the last 100 and 125 minutes or whatever it is in my mind they do but I don't think in the committee's mind they will um some good stuff so far I had a couple questions I've I've been writing down um Going back to what you said about they don't have any bad losses, I totally agree with that. Um, I did see a guy from the New York Post, uh, I'm sure you know him, Zach Brazilier, I think his name is. Yep. He, he was talking about how the UNC the UNC Greensboro loss is kind of a bad loss, and I don't know. I know that people were going after him about that because by any metric, it's not a bad loss. I mean, other than it says Greensboro on their jerseys, that's a solid team, right? Yeah, I mean, UNC Greenbow is, 50, is 56 in the net. They are in play for an at-large bid. They're not going to get an at-large bid, but because of their win at Georgetown, it, it keeps them um, alive. But, no, it's not a bad loss just by, yes, the name on the front of the jersey. But Georgetown has no bad losses, um, and they only have one Quadrant 2 loss. So if they would have beaten Greensboro, they would have been undefeated in Q2, 3, and 4, which would be very impressive. Yeah. Um, and I know we talked about Xavier. I mean, just an unbelievable choke job by St. John's. I watched the last half of that. But as a Georgetown, you know, pod, we were obviously very familiar with what they can do and not do at the end of a game. Who are some of the schools outside of the Big East, Georgetown fans, when they're looking at the scores in the bottom of the ticker, should be sort of actively rooting against? So teams like Wichita State, Arkansas, Indiana, Virginia, Purdue, uh, Utah State. Okay. There's there's a ton of teams still in play. <laughs> like like if you if you look at the bracket right now, if you're if you're an eight seed or worse, you're not safe. Um, okay. And things can change. Things can change daily. Um, the one thing also to keep in mind if if you're you know for Georgetown fans, last year. If uh, there were no teams who finished over 500 uh, between quadrant one and two uh, opponents, 
that missed the tournament. So if you're tracking right now, Georgetown is nine and ten versus Q1 and two Q1 and Q2 opponents combined. Okay. So that's something to to keep in mind. If you if you can keep that record above 500, you're in good shape. And all of the remaining opponents are going to be in there. I mean, it looks like St. John's could really drop, fall off a cliff. I feel like when you look at who they play, you're just thinking to yourself, where's the next win coming from? But assuming that them and DePaul stay, all the the remaining six plus, you know, their tournament games, seven games are all going to be the quad one and two variety? That's correct, yeah. Okay. And I want, I mean, I'm just wondering, let's say the Johnnies do fall out to, to quad two. How, like mathematically, how does that, really impact Georgetown. Like Georgetown's at a 43 I mean, I mean, in the net. Yeah. It's not it's not gonna affect them that much. Um it'll it'll take away it would take away a quadrant to win. Um but that's that's pretty much it. I don't think it's the end of the world. It's not it's not something that's gonna cost them a bit, let's put it that way. Gotcha. Um and then I find the bracketology stuff really interesting. Obviously you know, college basketball is basically a March sport where everyone just kind of looks at that bracket, always, always waiting for it. Now, what all the bracketologists do pretty much is always, you're always saying this is the tournament field if it ended today. And obviously it doesn't end for a couple more weeks. Um, do you do you do any sort of forecasting out as far as, you know, there's, there's obviously so many variables and this, you know, this domino happens and it affects everything. But do you do any sort of forecasting or is it all just in that moment stuff? Now, everything I do is in the moment. Whatever, okay. if the season ends today, this is what the bracket would look like. Right. I always, you know, in the back of my mind, I, I think about things, but that's, but in terms of the bracketology, that's always in the moment. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's just it's just too hard to just predict results, especially when you're saying it's a season where we're, you know, middle of February and none of the eight seeds are safe. That being said, has the bracket been like this the last couple of years? I know the Georgetown fans aren't really familiar with the bracket. It's been, it's been a couple of years <laughs> as far as really paying attention to the bubble. Um, but is this kind of the way it's been going or is this year a little bit different? No, I would say it's, every single year uh, I seem to say this is the worst bubble ever, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same. It really is the same every okay. year. It's no different than past years. So it's like, it's, it, it changes on a daily basis. So, you know, you got to keep, got to keep getting some key wins. That's that's what it's all about. And are you updating your bracket daily? I don't site? do it daily. I'll, I'll be doing it a couple times a week now. Um, I just updated it this morning, and I'll probably be doing it uh, later this week. Um, so probably twice a week until we get closer, and then I'll be doing it daily. If you had Fantastic. to guess today. Is, do you think Georgetown can make the tournament? Or actually, I'll say a different way. If you put their chances right now, you think they're 50-50? You think they're they're trending the right way? They're trending the wrong way? Where do you feel Georgetown is right now? Honestly, I would say I still think that they're probably going to miss out on the tournament, unfortunately. What? Uh, Come but, on. But, but, <laughs> We're paying you but, big but, time but, to be I, here I, right I, now. Is that what you're going to give us? <laughs> but I will say this. Every time I think Georgetown is going to roll up, r- roll over and, and, and die, they win at Butler. So, you know what? I do believe <laughs> yeah. in Patrick Ewing, and I think there's hope, and I think it's probably close to 50-50. Um, okay. They, 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 can, they can absolutely do it because they're in the Big East and they have the opportunities. 
Um, if they can get if they can get uh, your seven and Mac back, I like their chances much better, obviously. Um, and I think they can get it done. I hope they and do. I think, you I know, really do. at the end of the day, that's all we can really ask for. I mean, we control our own destiny with, you know, half a dozen games or so left in the season. And if, uh, given all that's happened to Georgetown this year, I think we're in a pretty, pretty good spot. No question. And, and, and the best part is you, keep, you won't say the reason why Georgetown did not make it is because of their schedule. That won't be the reason. Thank God. <laughs> um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, one of your favorite features on the internet is apparently the casual awards. Is that correct? Of course. That is correct. Yes. I love them. <laughs> Read them every day. Every, every time they come Good. out. Well, we will have a, a, a new version of the casual awards tomorrow celebrating the massive win at Butler. Brad, tremendous job. Uh, continued success with, with the site. Um, again, everyone, it's Brad Wachtel. It's at B-W-A-C-H-T-E-L 23 on Twitter. Give him a follow. Um, Brad, we will hopefully have you on again. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. See you, Brad. Take care. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. So Andrew, yes, Georgetown won again at Hinkle. I mean, this is just outrageous, right? G- given like who was available, who was not available, the back and forth between oh, Omir's warming up based on the Georgetown Instagram feed, and then he's playing, and then what is it? Um, was it Andy Cass or I think it, yeah? And it's like he's, we you know, had he- we in, in an interesting <laughs> an interesting twist we had. Andy Katz dueling with our very own Ben Standig for injury information. Um, You know, of course, all of this could easily be short-circuited if Georgetown would just tell us something once in a while. But, you know, they play the game, and (laughs) it was kind of maddening. And and ultimately, uh, having your seven go out and warm up, and, oh, he might play, he's playing, he's got a haircut, everything's great. The haircut Uh, was huge. not playing. Your haircut's huge, and perhaps that's really the biggest thing to come out of that other game. But, I mean, he, he, it's frustrating, but it's Georgetown. It's something that we've come to, unfortunately, expect. So, anyway, um, unusually, I was able, and it was a pleasure to listen to Rich Svotkin at Hoya's win, Georgetown's legendary play-by-play guy. So, he does, before the game, he does an interview with Patrick Ewing, and I think it plays before the game. I'm not sure, but it definitely plays at halftime. So I was listening to Rich and Ewing talk before the game. And in that interview, which was played at halftime on 980 locally, he talked about how it was going to be good to have Omir back. So I really think the plan was yeah. for Omir to play. And he just, he, some, you know, something happened. Uh, it, it didn't look, no one mentioned he seemed to aggravate something in warmups. Georgetown's traditionally cautious with injuries 
I mean, people can lose the contact lens and be out of a month. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I, I'm not surprised that they held him out a, a, again, maybe ultimately thinking, okay, you know, this Butler game is kind of house money. If we win, great. But if not, we really need them back at home against Providence. Who knows? Um, but uh, look, we've got Ooh. Providence on Wednesday. Right? We do. I mean, we've got a, and suddenly, I mean, we just listened to Brad. We're in a position to make the dance. This is big time. Right. And let's talk about the players that did play. Okay. Yeah. Blair played 40 minutes, 16 points. Um, Mosley played 40 minutes, eight points, five assists. Terrell Allen was the hero. Obviously, 22 points, tied his career high. He's been at three schools now, Drexel, Central Florida, and the Hoyas, 40 minutes. I mean, it's unbelievable what this group is doing. And then special special honorable mention to Ego Efe, who had barely played all year, plays 12 minutes, four big points on two, um, two uh, rebound, two offensive rebound putbacks. I mean, it's unbelievable what they're doing. It, it really is. I'm I, 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 I tell that a lot for words. I, I, uh, you know, I live in New Orleans. This past weekend is the first weekend of Mardi Gras. So I'm at Mardi Gras parades and following the game on my phone. Every time I check the score, um, you know, assuming or hoping that I don't see what I'm thinking I'm going to see, which is, you know, Butler with the large lead. You know, Georgetown maintained that lead the whole way through. Um, I think Butler grabbed the lead early in the second half. And I was thinking, oh, okay, you know, here we go. Here we go. And it just never happened. It just no. never happened. Uh, <laughs> and you know, huge credit to Ewing staff and and the players. Um, just a, a remarkable win, and uh, hopefully they can keep it going. Hopefully they can keep it going, but it's just unbelievable. I know, I know I tweeted earlier, and I was I was I was assuming that Allen would make the Big East honor roll, but they only played one game, and I definitely don't know what every team did this week. But the last three weeks, you have Javon Blair honor roll, Javon Blair honor roll today. Terrell Allen, and these are two guys that if Akinjo doesn't leave and if McClung's not hurt, I mean, what kind of minutes do you think they were getting? I mean, it's just the the odds on this, I mean, the odds on the starting lineup for, you know, this past game are just out of this world. But then the fact that the guys that are getting the minutes, getting the opportunity, are producing at all Big East levels, it's it's insane. (laughs) It it really is. I also think Allen was fouled on that last three, by the way. Um, Oh, absolutely. But, uh, but, you know, uh, it's really also remarkable just to take a step back and think about Georgetown's performance at Hinkle, which is generally considered a difficult place to play, right? Can we go next year? I mean, can we we just play all our games? We can play all our games at Hinkle and MSG, and, you know, that's all we need. (laughs) Um, And then the defense, too, right? If everyone remembers – the first time they played Butler, which I was tweeting about during the first half where it looked like Georgetown was going to be, you know, put up a good effort. Probably it was a close game because they just don't have enough guys. I was way wrong on that. But if you remember the way the first game went, Georgetown's up, I think, 11 or 12 at the half. And then yeah. they just couldn't solve McDermott. Well, okay, McDermott was two for 10 from three. You know, Butler kept on shooting threes. They finished the game nine for 32. Georgetown only needed 15 attempts to make 10. You know I mean? So... I know, like the defense takes a lot of a, a lot of crap, both on Twitter, probably on this podcast. But I mean, like you know, they certainly didn't lose. You know, they weren't going to lose the same way twice, which is all you could kind of ask for. And we didn't hit your magic eighty point mark, and still got a W. 
Yeah. So I know. So I, I was at I was at Eagle Bank Arena for George Washington, George Mason. And I'm like, well, I got I got to find like, so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I've got to find those stats. I've got to <laughs> find those stats. So um, Ewing is like, I think it's like it's like six and twenty five when they don't score 80. But three of those wins have been the last two weeks. <laughs> so mm-hmm. he's finding a different way to win. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So how do we beat Providence? Well, um, not going down 16 nothing would be a really good way to start. I mean, if you remember that game, it was just a complete disaster. No one really knew yeah. McClung was going to be out. That was the first sign right. of, you know, what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it was, it was New Year's Eve. It was my birthday. They just got completely throttled. I mean, they were never in it. But there was a moment where they cut it, and I know it sounds crazy to say, they cut it to 14 in the second half, and you start thinking, hey, a couple more stops. They're right there. It didn't happen. You know, they got they, they were down 31 or 32 at the half. It just wasn't enough. Basically, Providence isn't a really great offensive team, and they had their best game of the season, unfortunately, against the Hoyas. In the, you know, they, they shot like 65%. They were ten for eighteen from three. I mean, it was just it was just unbelievable. Um, well, they, so, I mean, arguably they just had their best game of the season against Seton Hall. So, you know, I don't know if that's a that's a good thing. You know, it, it's always nice when perhaps a team has peaked heading into a game against us. I mean, it certainly prevents us from kind of sleepwalking and helps us take note as to what's coming. Um, on the other hand, this is a Providence team. I guess that has been pretty inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, but not, but nonetheless, does have some weapons. Traditionally, battles Georgetown pretty tightly. Um, just, I, I'm, but I'm glad they did beat Seton Hall. Go ahead. So, there have been no overtime games yet this season, oh, which geez. is unusual. They <laughs> played five last year. They played five Ewing's first year. Basketball overtime games happen. The last time Georgetown didn't play an overtime game was 2010. Okay, so. Last year, um, you might, you know, I'm sure you remember, like, uh, McClung hit some crazy, like, bank from half court yep. to tie the game. And then yep. I want to say Akinjo hit a big shot in one of the first over. They had, it was, it was double overtime. So I think this is going to go to overtime. And I'm going to be complaining about it a lot because it's an 8.30 local tip. So if it ends under normal circumstances, it'll be ending probably around, well, okay, 8.30 tip. That means 8.45. Sorry to break everybody's heart. but That's just the way it works. So yeah. the game will co- probably be ending right around 10:50, and my guess is that we're going to have at least five minutes of free basketball, which is not great for Georgetown since their entire team has to play 40, 40. <laughs> well, in, in this case, uh, 45 minutes. You, you, you literally might see Jake and Mosley play 50 minutes on a Wednesday night, which is something. Um, you know, you wonder. You wonder if Iggy has uh, carved out a little bit of role, even if your seven comes back, you know, are they going to kind of ease your seven back in or is he ready to go full throttle? If he plays at all, I mean, who knows what's going on? McClung, like you, you said a couple of weeks ago, he, he seems to not be anywhere near no return. Um, no. But they haven't, haven't said anything. Haven't, you know, put him on ice for the rest of the regular season. Um, They're not going to, because, and I, I disagree with it, but this is the whole, like, well, if we make Providence spend any time preparing for McClung, mm-hmm. that's time that they spent that's wasted their time is why right. a team would do something like this, right? So that's kind of my guess. I mean, it, it's hard. 
and you know, I don't know if they show it on TV or whatever, but if you ever get a chance to just really, if you see McClung, just watch the way he walks. He does not look like someone that's day to day. It just, it just doesn't. And he's been day to day for almost, this is week three of day to day. And, mm-hmm. you know, someone, I can't remember. I apologize if you're listening. Thank you for listening. But someone had tweeted at me. If you remember like a couple weeks ago or maybe like a month or two ago, he was wearing like the older shoes and people were sort of, you know, clowning on him because they had they had tape on them. And someone was like, look, he's probably wearing those shoes because those are the shoes that like felt the best. And we don't know what his actual foot injury is, but there's certain foot injuries that, you know, can be just, you know, all you just need to take time off and like nothing's really going to help except for time, you know, duration. Like there's no treatment. It's just you have to be off your feet. So that was a pretty good theory. I'm not a tinfoil hat kind of guy, but that did make sense because it made no sense why he was wearing those those particular shoes. Absolutely. Let's check out some tweet and Twitter action. People okay. asking some questions ahead of the, the wonderful cast tonight. Uh, at Steve Grunman, what is actually wrong with Max Foot? No idea. Just glad it's not amputated. Let's see. <laughs> um, uh, there are a few others here. With oh, I know some people. The, oh, with the success of the upperclassmen guard trio as starters during this recent run, should Ewing consider Mac as a six-man spark plug? That's at Big Earl. What's I, I? I probably think yes at this point. Probably because if if Mac does come back, I imagine he's not going to just jump into a thirty-minute a night role right off the bat. I, he might even he might come off the bench. Yeah, um, I feel like because Blair is so used to coming off the bench, and that that's why I think he's a great bench guy. I mean, there's there's certain guys that just they can't handle not starting. I'm not saying McClung is one of them. I mean, it, this goes all the way up to like people like in my adult leagues. Like some people just have to start, and it's just comfortable for them to do that. So I could see, you know, I don't think we've ever seen McClung come off the bench. So like, can he do it? Like we know Blair can just come right off the bench and get 20 shots up. Like that's not that's not a problem. So yeah. I think that we'll see McClung play like really, really low minutes if he ever makes it back, which I don't think he will. But I think, you know, he, he, he's just going to be playing less than he would. So I, I think starting, not starting doesn't really matter. If That's kind of a lame way to answer that mm-hmm. maybe. But we got, we got another one from at the kid <laughs> underscore. I want more Wahab. This country needs more Wahab. But will you and give us more Wahab even with a healthy year seven? Um, everything that Ewing has said indicates no. Um, there was a couple people trying to push that point. I can't remember what game it was after. It was a home game. Um, and he, you know, Ewing is obviously very tied to your seven. I think it was after the home loss to Butler. And, you know, Wahab sort of brings a different kind of player. I I think you're I think you're gonna get heavy doses of your seven if he's healthy. And I can't believe he didn't play. I really thought that picture of him and Jack the Bulldog was a great right. indication that he was able to sort of crouch down and not have a boot on his foot and all that stuff. Yeah. I think when he comes back, I think it's going to be kind of the ratio of minutes that they have been going for. Um, but I think what Wahab has really done is given a lot of people something to look forward to for next year. Everyone assumes your seven is not going to stay, but I don't think it's as bad of a situation as it looked maybe when the season started, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, oh, you Absolutely. know, they're running three freshman center. Can any of them play? Well, it's clear Wahab can. Uh, speaking about people who have left Georgetown, late news this evening, Jeff Green signs with the Rockets. Yes. 
I think it's great. I think it's great. Now there are two Hoyas in the NBA, which is <laughs> seems crazy to say. I mean, the All-Star game was yesterday. And, you know, back when I was a kid, you know, Georgetown would have like three players, you know, in the All-Star game. And now there's just two guys in the entire league, which kind of shows you why things haven't been as great because it's not that difficult. You have to have good players. But Jeff Green always, you know, deserved to be in the NBA this year. And you knew that he was going to go to a contender. So I will be looking forward to see how the small ball Rockets use Jeff Green. And he was one of the Wizards' best players last year in a season that just completely derailed with injuries and all that stuff. So it was great to have Jeff I Green saw, locally. Yeah. And I'm glad that he's back with the Rockets. I saw Jeff play in the preseason when he was with the Jazz. They came and played uh, here in New Orleans to play the Pelicans. He put up like 25 points in like 15 minutes. You know, it was, he didn't look like anyone who was ready to uh, not be a contributor to any team in the league. And, uh, you know, best of success with the Rockets. Um, real quick, I tweeted yesterday, I retweeted Ryan Matumbo, who said that, and we talked about this last week, that he wasn't going to announce anything recruiting wise, like until next year and all that kind of stuff. And I tweeted, yeah, it'd be a disaster if Georgetown didn't sign him. Okay, it wouldn't be a disaster. That was a poor choice of word. But I think if you're Georgetown, you know, you look at DePaul, who knows if they're going to keep Lato, but he's already got like some good recruits for 2021. I just think that would be such a great way to kick off the 2021 recruiting class by getting Ryan Batumbo to sign up. He's a top 100 player now. He's gotten so much better in the last couple of years. Everyone that's focused on that has, you know, said that. To Ken visit all the games. Maybe I'm just being more worried than other people, but I just think that would be such a great way to start off. You know, it just seems like Georgetown's always sort of like under Ewing. They're always sort of scrambling for recruits at the last minute, which has worked out okay with some grad transfers and, you know, some other guys. But I just think that would be a great way to just, hey, boom, we got Ryan Matumbo. Of course we do. He's Ryan Matumbo. Let's keep going from here. Well, we've got we've got Moncrief's announcement coming up on the 21st. We got a win today of uh, another point guard who's visiting during the Villanova weekend with Frankie Collins, I think his name is. He's a four-star point guard uh, who may reclassify the class of two, 2020. Um, okay. Suddenly, we're we're in the mix for a lot of guys, uh, which yeah. is new and exciting. But you're right. I mean, no one would argue with you about Ryan Matumbo. <laughs> no one doesn't want Matumbo to come to Georgetown, right? No, yeah. I, it just It's just more of like, because like the guys you just mentioned right now are, you know, the 2020s. Like they're trying to get the late 2020 guys. So I just right. think it would be so great to get ahead of the game in 2021 and being like, because I think that also sends a signal of, you know, hey, look, you know, we're going to keep bringing in good, good players, good kids. And it's Ryan Matumbo. <laughs> like, you got to get this one. Like this, come on. This is this is one you well, got to get. The, the, the problem with the Matumbo thing is, if he doesn't go to Georgetown, it's almost worse, right? Like yeah. it just looks so much worse if he doesn't go to Georgetown. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I still, I think we we talked about this on a podcast ago or so, where I think it's the kind of thing where he ends up at Georgetown, but is projecting sort of. I haven't made my mind up because he doesn't want to be in his dad's shadow, that kind of thing. Well, and, you know, for a lot of these guys, you know, that don't make the NBA, this is a really exciting time, right? Where, I mean, every, who doesn't like, who doesn't want to be like, you know, courted and wooed and all those things. So this is his opportunity to be like, Hey, yeah, I know I'm Ryan Matumbo, but let me experience this time of like all these big schools, you know, coming and telling me why I'm so great. And 
you know, I'm not saying that that's just him specifically, but I think in general, you know, like 20 years ago, you never have a kid come out and say, this is my top 12 schools I'm looking at, you know, like, or I've cut my list to 12. It used to be like, this yeah. is my final three or five yeah. now. So obviously there's a part to this and I don't blame them because, you know, the schools get everything on their side. So this is definitely not me. I'm definitely pro player, but that, that could sort of be another thing of just let the guys enjoy the process, let them go, let, let them take their five official visits and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we've got Providence on Wednesday. We've got DePaul on Saturday. Got to go two and up. We'll record episode 36 on Monday. Hopefully by that point, we'll have 17 wins. That would be a great place to be. Um, again, Kente Corner, a casual Hoya podcast. You could find it, Apple, Spotify, Google, all those places. I'm at Bobby Bancroft, and this is at Casual Hoya. Andrew, Andrew, until next time. Hoya Saxa, later. See you.